0: Hey, 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 happy new year, and welcome to season number three, episode number one of the Cold Calling Podcast. I'm your host. Larry Long Jr., CEO, Chief Energy Officer of LLJR Enterprises. Just a reminder, we are back again. The Cold Calling Podcast is powered by our friends at Monster Connect. Remember, leveraging technology to deliver actual conversations. Can you hear me now? We're focused on B2B sellers, helping you connect with decision makers, 8 to 12, each hour so that we can take our sales game to that next level. Now, remember, this podcast is also geared to take your skills as a cold caller, as a sales professional, as a sales leader to that next level. We want to help you succeed in sales. Now, joining us today, episode number one for 2024. Give me some more in 2024. You are in for a treat. Today's guest, hailing from East Germany. He's lived all over Dublin, 25 years. After being a world traveler, I hope I get this right. He spent time in Canada, in England. He's been all over. He's got experiences with Deutsche Bank, with LaFonza. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. PayPal and LinkedIn, where he actually started Sales Solutions, which we now call Sales Navigator. That's just the name of few. Got me tired thinking about his background, but now he's the CEO of Alpha BGS Commercial. He's going to bring us some great perspectives, some great insights around cold calling, around sales, around business. If we can give a warm cold calling podcast, welcome to my man, Frank Hatton. Welcome, welcome, welcome,
1: Frank. You're clearly the chief energy officer. Thank you for the very warm welcome and happy new year, Larry. Oh, man. Thank you for joining
0: us. Now, Frank, this might be episode one of season three, but we still like to kick things off with a segment that I call who, what, and why. In a nutshell, who are you? What do you do? And why do you do it? The mic is all
1: yours. So I keep it very brief because you've done a great job introducing me. You can hear the accent. Uh, probably the first East German on the show, maybe not the last. Uh, the um, As I always say, born communist, converted capitalist. That's who I am. Uh, born behind the Iron Curtain. War came down when I was young enough though. And I had, uh, as you said, um, an interesting career done many different things. A lot of blue chip companies have been 23 years in different management roles and started uh, last year my own business and be now my own boss, which I thoroughly enjoy. And um, why am I doing it? Look, I'm too young to give up. One, um, we all need to make money. That's what we're in for, as I said, from capitalist. But um, I also enjoy really dealing with people, being out there. Um, and uh, the, the great thing now, having had uh, some of the experiences, being able to pass it on, being able to kind of share Some of the wealth uh, in regards to experiences uh, is something I thoroughly enjoy as well. Is that kind of it? Yeah, I love it. I love to hear it. Now, with
0: such a varied background, I'm curious to know. We're just going to kick it off. What are your initial thoughts when you hear... Cold calling, because I know that you and I, we've had some some conversations back and forth. We've been messaging, and I know you bring a unique perspective, but let's just kick it off. What are your thoughts around cold calling uh, from your past experiences? Uh,
1: You mentioned, I mean, uh, I've been part of the founding team of Sales Navigator. I managed the European business when we started it off, and our big goal was to get rid of cold calling. So not a big fan is probably where I would lead. But as I said to you before, uh, when we were chatting, uh, I'm not saying cold calling hasn't got a place, uh, but there are ways to make them, first of all, warm. And I listened to a couple of uh, your contributors um, in in past uh, seasons, and uh, I think a lot of it was said already about how to make that actually a warm call rather than a cold call. One thing I truly believe in, Calling is always part of a sales cycle where it is a kind of a complicated implementation, a difficult decision-making process, or an expensive product to sell. There are really a need for interaction and for uh, at least call, sometimes even face-to-face interaction. So I'm never talking about getting rid of calling, but I don't like it to be called. I will not want to buy something if somebody just said, hey, dude, have you got 30 seconds for me? probably not likely to just lead to a sale, but if somebody reaches out the right way, even through a call, and actually makes it really kind of relevant to me, maybe. That's kind of, in a nutshell, my view on cold calling. I love it. Now, the next logical
0: question is, how do I do that? I know you said that we gotta heat it up. Oh, I'm chilly over here. It's ice cold, Frank. How do I make that cold call warm?
1: You see why there are so many conversations about it and so many people who make a business out training or uh, consulting and advising around that, because there is not one clear answer. There isn't one size fits all. I found it very interesting. You had uh, obviously people in very unique industries. I mean, your last podcast specifically, unique industries where it is quite important to really think about what's my client, what is important to them, what's their decision making process. And call calling can be, or calling in warm outreaches can be uh, clearly the best approach in certain uh, aspects of a business. Certain businesses, I would recommend, do not start with call callings. They ri- they reach out differently. Again, if it's a larger um, sales cycle, a big decision-making process, complicated implementation, call call not likely to lead you to um, a good lead. However, maybe calling is part of that sales cycle as well, and sales process, but multiple touch points is often the the, the kind of right approach there. But if it is a simple decision-making process and just, here's a great offer, make the decision, and you close the sale in one go, maybe actually the call is the right way to go. So not one size fits all, specific industries have specific needs. And sometimes, and this is exactly why, again, so many people are out there making a living out of consulting on that or training that, is because um, a mix thereof can be actually the right solution in many cases. So where you have a team that actually gets the initial um, contact out there, but they are not closing necessarily your sale, that might be where, again, calling and training how to make the right call and that right outreach is really important.
0: I Love it. The diversity <laughs> of
1: out. It, it sounded very complicated, didn't I?
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. Loud and clear. Now I'm curious because you talked about others that are out there training.
1: Alpha BGS. What is it that you do? Yeah, I don't uh, I decided consciously not to get into the training game because there are there are really good training providers out there. There's many of them, some of them I know quite well, didn't want to compete because they have established programs, why establish something that's already out there. Um, and it's not my forte. Like I, I'm advisory is, is really what I focus on uh, and working with businesses that either really kind of still at the very early growing stages or established businesses that uh, try to change the game. So advisory is something I focus on mainly and I do a fractional leadership business uh, in that as well, where I basically go in and do work hands on. And the key is really looking at the sales process. So I'm I'm really more on the process side and the strategy side of a business, looking at what's working, let's not change it and maybe double down on it, but what isn't working, how do we change it? You know how many people can tell you what isn't working? That's useless to you. You need somebody who tells you, here's how to make maybe a difference, how to change that game, because what isn't working, is obviously what you wanna get rid of and make something a lot better out of it. And it's not just about incremental small changes, but sometimes could be really turning a business around and drastically change it, or a lot of incremental changes that add up to a big result.
0: Ooh, that's powerful right there. Advisory, assisting early stage businesses, existing businesses, helping them to get to the next level from a sales process, sales strategy. Now, I need to know, boom, boom, because I know you have the pulse. As we roll into 2024, something you said, what is working and what isn't working? Kind of the trends that you're seeing. I'd love to know both of uh, what's working on this side as well as what's not working on this side.
1: Yeah, oh, there's so many different ways we can go with that. So one thing I see when you talk about trends, so many great tools out there and um, they all could have a place but when you think about it an outreach tool how many outreach tools will actually be implemented uh, and i'm not talking about the company with that name but all the different companies and providers out there um, but there is a space now where it gets very saturated and we will see consolidation in that space and some of those businesses will disappear because most companies will decide for one provider and double down on that and not all of them can survive. therefore. So I think we see um, great proliferation of companies that have a great offering. They differentiate somewhat, but in the end, you're not going to have five of them come in house. You're going to decide for one. And the one you decide on, you will hope that they take some of the goodness from the other providers that you haven't decided for and implement those things as well. So some will survive, and there's great firms out there that won't name any of them because um, none of them pay me. If you want to pay me, by the way, call me and I will name you. But in in the end, it's truly there there will be consolidation in that space. There is a big trend of outsourcing sales currently as well, and there are great providers out there that do that at scale. Um, I think sales outsourcing, that is something that uh, firms will double down on because I believe for specifically businesses that grow, it is easily scalable, uh, so when, when you outsource it to, to a good provider, obviously you can scale it up and down easier, so it is a good way to go. But again, this is kind of a path where people make decisions early on and can get it quickly wrong as well, because if you go, for example, as a growing business or startup to a large outsource provider, yeah. you will always be a small fish in their big pond. And what happens is they're good people if you if you train them on your product will move on to other products or will leave that firm so eventually you want to insource that then potentially or if you go to the right provider that is the right size that grows with you for example that is a much better opportunity so choosing the right outsource provider is something i will talk about but again from a trend perspective i think sales outsourcing is a trend one thing i've seen over the last year specifically when it got a little tight for a lot of firms They can't actually afford the headcount, but they need the sales. What do they do? They go to uh, very experienced people and try to get them just on commission only basis. Now, that works potentially for some businesses, and it actually can work for a lot of sales professionals because you're now uh, the master of your own time. You're not reporting to a boss. You can do this for two or three firms if you do it well. However, I think there is um, uh, an end to this eventually for individuals as well. Because they leverage their network, you can only call your network on so many things, so many times before they not pick up the phone anymore, and then it becomes really that cold slog of calling out again, making new pipeline, and really actually doing the real sales job, and that's when probably people turn off that again. But it's been something I've seen over the last year a trend: people trying to hire people rather, or rather than hiring them, bringing them on board as external, we pay you on commission only. And I think that is just because they had funding issues, their money issues, they will want to have more security and have it in house again. That might be something when we see the economy pick up and, and, and the job market pick up, probably fizzle out, not disappear, but fizzle out somewhat. So those are two trends I definitely see very uh, dramatically coming this year already at us, but specifically on the technology side, I think too many offerings, they will consolidate when some of them will disappear. Uh, that's something I would expect sometime this year to start happening already.
0: Ooh, that's powerful. So many outreach tools, the consolidation of tech, the outsourcing of the sales function, as well as what you described, I call that getting creative of leveraging sales professionals with experience, tapping them for a commission, only arrangement now now i like to call this spill the tea and i need you to spill the tea because i did a little bit of research and you self proclaim that you're not your average business leader come on frank tell me what does that mean you're not the average business leader what say what
1: <laughs> all right great call now i now now you got me uh on the hot seat but uh Look, first and foremost, um, I use that only once every call, but uh, let me be frank with you is a sentence I would usually say. Uh, but, yeah, this is, this is one thing I think most people who work with me and know me well, um, I'm pretty straightforward, but I try to be always constructive. I have to learn that over time. Um, being straightforward is an excuse sometimes for people to be rude. That's not me. That's not what I'm trying to do. But when I see something not working, I will call it out, but again, always with the hindsight of how can we make it better? Here's how I see a problem and a solution to that problem. You will find that is something I do. And that's not what the standard business leader would do, uh, because a lot more people are concerned about their reputation and their growth paths and whatever. Uh, if you look at my background as well, uh, very varied industries, uh, varied roles. I'm. I'm not hungry for titles, or um, I used to call uh, the, the the sales leaders that I work with or others I know, um, empire builders. It's not my thing. It's about building the right business and building the right team to get the right results. And sometimes it's not the biggest team that gets you the best, best all, all ROI. Right. And that's specifically something I was always very keen on, um, making an impact rather than building an empire. Uh, So therefore, I'm not your average business leader, not just because I have a unique accent.
0: (laughs) I appreciate you being frank with us. Now, I I, I noticed that you have a diverse and just a varied background. Lafonza, PayPal, Deutsche Bank, LinkedIn. I mean, you've been everywhere. (laughs) I'm curious, what are some of those top, sales lessons that you've learned along the way and specifically i'm now stepping in for our audience if i'm a bdr if i'm an sdr if i'm a lead generation leader i'm in in that parallel what can you pass along to me that will benefit me as i go about trying to be the best that i can be
1: yes but i couple of lessons. I would start off with something I actually just shared uh, earlier today with somebody as well. One thing I learned uh, is you never make a decision with your gut, but you never decide against your gut. And that is in hiring one really important thing, but also in, in, in life. Um, the, other, the other thing is um, when when I take this thought process one step further, and I think my my time in Microsoft would be probably the biggest learning in the database decision-making. There's so much data out there, um, you can you can spend loads of time on it. You have to figure out, okay, how much data do I really need to make a good decision, but make it a b- database decision. And the key thing is how you back yourself up. And this is kind of where I um, come from with that, because again, so much data you can spend far too much time on, but what am I trying to say And how does the data back me up in that? That's an important lesson. And that's not just for leaders and managers out there. That's for everybody. So as a BDR or salesperson, when you have a conversation with your boss, uh, whoever that may be, uh, your manager comes to you and wants to talk to you about how you need to do your one KPI better. You believe that KPI doesn't really help you. Back yourself up with data. Have that conversation, database. It's very difficult to actually argue against that then. And, and while I'm on that track, one other thing I learned in regards to communication, and again, that's really important when you, maybe less experienced and a bit more junior in, 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 in your uh, path, when you have conversations, um, for example, on the phone with somebody who's being rather difficult, somebody who's shouting your ear off, well, first of all, let them shout, let them have it out because emotions is, an important thing on how we communicate, but they sometimes difficult to overcome. But in sales always, that's why I find sales so wonderful. It's always about money. So when you think about it this way, the person that's upset on the other side is upset about money, already takes emotions out of it. When your boss shouts at you, they feel you're not making them enough money, takes emotions out. And you might actually be really upset with your boss because they're not paying you enough money. But when you always bring it just down to that one level, it's always money. And money has no emotion. So that's one big thing. So take the emotion out of it, but let people be emotional. Let them kind of fight that out. But when you then react to something, acknowledge their emotion. And when you want somebody not to be able to argue with you because something affects you, simple word is, that's how this makes me feel. Nobody can take away how you feel. They can't can't change how you feel uh, by saying, oh, no, that isn't so. They can just explain why you may actually got the wrong end of the stick, or maybe you got the right end and you feel wrongly for whatever reason done for. Anyway, those are some communication things I learned. But um, more practical as well from from a sales leadership perspective specifically, when you look at it, there are a couple of things I would always kind of look into uh, when I talk about sales teams. When you look at your sales team, most people want, here's my perfect salesperson, and you hire that perfect salesperson 10 times over. That won't give you a scale. That won't let you grow. That gives you just that number many times over. And the one example I always use, and I um, if anybody heard me say that before, apologies, but when you put 10 people in a room, you, you hire your one kind of picture perfect salesperson, and you hire them 10 times. Put them all in a room, and then ask them to share and get better together. How would they get better? They're all the same. Hire 10 very differentiated people, different skill sets, different experience, at least something different, everybody has to bring to the table. Now put them in a room, and we all do easy math and sales very easily, because if I give one and get nine back, I'm happy to give the one. So now you tell them, just give the one thing that makes you unique, that makes you better at what you do, and you get nine times back. Now you create not only sharing, but now you went from the level set to 10x because they all just learned something. If you as a leader want to really grow uh, with your team and make them better at what they do, don't hire 10 same people and you tell them what they you think they can get better at. That's just 1x. 10x is different skill sets. And And when I talk diversity there, I really mean diversity of experience, diversity of skill set, and so on. That's one other thing that really worked for me really well. And um, I, I actually had that conversation with an old boss of mine on a different podcast not too long ago. We hired for that level of diversity before diversity was a thing. And we really grown with that. And and that actually then works really well because it adds that layer of diversity without you focusing on numbers. So all the other diversity comes with that then because you focus on the right reason why you hire people. But that was uh, one thing I learned, really stood me really well. Always done that. And um, I highly recommend it. Ooh, so many power- Powerful. <laughs> Powerful.
0: Now, I, I want to go to the flip side because you talked about the lessons that you learned. What were a few of the lessons that you earned, if you know what I mean? I mean, we get yeah. lessons learned sometimes. <laughs> So we get those lessons that we earn that might be able to help someone else avoid that same pitfall that you went through.
1: Oh look, the, the, the best lessons are always the hard-earned ones, uh definitely. But uh yeah, there's a couple of things. Like standing up for yourself is the wrong way to go about things. Uh but that's what people would say. But really having an open, honest conversation again comes back to here, this is how that makes me feel, or here's what's going on. And it's getting across that comfort level, having a conversation sometimes, always bearing in mind that it comes with a risk because it won't be always well received. But um, a job is still a job. We all need to wake up in the morning and do a job because I have to pay bills. Fortunately, I have structured this way, but we still have a life to live. If you ask anybody who in their 80s or 90s, when you turned around, they're never proud of their, their, their job titles they had or whatever. They're proud of the experiences they had, they're proud of the impact they made. So that's what you want to be looking out for. And sometimes when you say life isn't really working out and you're really kind of not comfortable in what you're doing, have that conversation. You'd be surprised how much your leader, your manager, whoever is in front of you actually will appreciate it more often than not. Won't always work though, so don't hold me to it because you're going to have horrible people out there that react wrongly, but then you're probably in the wrong environment anyway and changing roles when you can. And it's not always an opportunity that you can. Not everybody has a choice of roles all the time. So I want to be mindful as well. Um, where, But where you have the opportunity, be mindful of that, have an open conversation, say, hey, you calling me on a Sunday afternoon just doesn't really work for me and my family. And uh, while well, I'm happy to give you 120% Monday to Friday, and I do the extra hours and I do what it takes, but there is a time I need to protect. For example, that's a conversation I had in the past and actually it was better received than I expected. Um, I also learned, uh, don't just do what you're told without understanding what you do. Uh, and that's a hard learned lesson. Um, I won't go into detail on the entire example, but um, if you're not quite clear what your role is, and that's one thing that I applied because I learned that in the past uh, in my roles and I spoke in my last job, uh, where I mentioned the global sales team as well, I always spoke about clarity and role and focus. If you don't have the feeling that you have clarity in your own role and you don't don't have a clear focus, you need to ask for that. Um, so go and go and ask or create it for yourself and then just clarify that you're going the right way. That is the hard-earned lesson because you can work very hard and run in the wrong direction, and that doesn't help anybody, and you're not going to get credit for anything you've done then.
0: That's powerful right there. And especially as we're kicking off 2024, there's power and clarity and role, as well as that focus. I love that. Now, Frank, you had mentioned something earlier, and I want to say thank you. You talked about your direct communication style. And uh, my wife and I, we just got certified in the DISC Um communication style, so I love that awareness while also realizing and reiterating that's not an excuse to not be a nice person, but being direct. I like that. Being direct, what advice would you give right now? If I'm a cold caller, I'm in an organization that has a requirement for me to make cold calls. Let's just say I have to make 50 cold calls every day. What advice? Speak to me. What advice will you give me on the do's and the don'ts?
1: That's your job, regardless of my opinion on call calls. Um, like you need to learn what, what's your best trait to actually connect with people, because it's all about connecting with people and look there, there are all the different theories, the first 30 seconds or the first five seconds, by the next seven seconds, all those things are fine. What you want to get is as many of those kind of learnings into you. You can watch uh, TED Talks and watch podcasts like this one. The more you can educate yourself of different ways of doing things because there isn't one way that works for all. It doesn't exist because we're all different people. We have different ways to connect to people. Uh, And Larry, nobody's going to have your energy uh, to bring that across. But you found your way of doing that. I have a very different way, but look, the two of us connected really well, even though we're very different in the way we do this. So I think that's what everybody has to be, very kind of self-aware. And that self-awareness is difficult at the beginning. So get a lot of feedback, ask people to give you open, honest feedback, and learn not to take it personal. Uh, That's, at the beginning, very difficult. Now, with a bit of age and I'm a little older now, it's much easier because, I, I, again, I take emotions out of this. But when I was younger, that wasn't always easy. Somebody taught me something that gnawed on me, and I kind of felt bad. But why would you feel bad? Somebody's actually trying to help you. Somebody takes you aside and gives you maybe hard-hitting feedback. Think about it. They didn't have to take the time to do that. They could have just let you keep on doing what you're doing and let you run the wrong direction. Actually appreciate them for taking the time to put you on the right path. And if you want to ignore the feedback, still appreciate that they made the effort. But that self-analysis, by the way, your dis model as well, love that. Uh, it's something you can spend time on a lot of different training programs. But if you don't have the time and if you don't have the money or energy to sign up for all those, there's a lot of stuff out there. The book, Surrounded by Idiots, for example, is an excellent book to get you kind of close into exactly that topic to understand people, how different people have different ways of thinking. And when you then get on your cold call and you realize, I have somebody who's very analytical because they keep on asking me for numbers that I don't even have. You know that you have to talk to them differently than somebody who gets on the phone and tells you about their family history and their whole business and everything. They're very different conversations. If you know how to manage those different types of personalities and different conversations, you're going to be much more successful than reading off the same script to everybody and hoping that it lands with somebody. Being able to react, make it about the person in front of you, that's your key to success.
0: Ooh, man, that's, you didn't have to drop the mic on me like that, Frank. That was powerful. And something you said really stood out. You talked about the education, being a student of the industry, being a student of this game, even though it's not really a game, you can treat it as a game, as well as being open to receiving feedback, being appreciative of someone taking the time to share, hopefully, direct feedback like Frank does. Oh, my goodness. Now, now Frank, I, I got to go. I'm, I'm going to go on a little detour because you and I met on a WhatsApp group. I think it's called the Global Consultant Network, and we've both got a lot of friends in there. Talk to me about the power of community and really the power of having a supportive community and or community.
1: Yeah, that that is specifically important for people who are the beginning of their career or or kind of just getting started in the game. Building out your network and fostering your network, you will see the benefits of it on the long run. It's not always paying off. Don't expect because you reach out to somebody, you connect to somebody, and you had a great conversation that that now needs to pay off. It's all about paying it forward, about being out there, and it's truly about building your network and being a a key member of that network as well. Because just joining a network, being on a LinkedIn groups are maybe the best example. How many LinkedIn groups have you joined? Most people have 50 LinkedIn groups and they never communicate in there. So you can claim that is a network of thousands of people, but you never communicated with anybody in that that is not a network. That is just you joining a group. But you, the, the WhatsApp group you referred to, it's a very active group, but uh, I think there's about 150 people on the group. Uh, but you see, there, I would say there's about 10, 15, 20 people who consistently are active. And I'm not even one of them, but I make an effort to where I can contribute, where it is a topic I can actually be helpful with, or uh, where I need something even, then I get involved in it as well. And, and that's important. To be an active member of a network, that's really important. But your own network, this is where you need to, and you see it as concentric circles always. And, and when you think about it, it's like your family. You have a very close part of your family that's hopefully your, your direct partner, your wife in your case, Larry. But it, it, you have a very close family, your wife, kids, and then your parents, whatever. And then you have an extended part of your family. And then in my case, for example, I have a couple of friends that I see like brothers. They are family to me. So your circles get wider and wider and wider. And your network is the same thing. You have really important members of your network. This could be really close colleagues that you worked with in the past that you're still in touch with. Could be friends that you uh, know from childhood that you constantly in touch with. this are important part of your network. They can always help. They are the ones who give you honest feedback. because they have nothing to lose. They are not your bosses. But then your boss and your ex-boss, they're part of your network as well. Treat them uh, appropriately. Stay in touch with them and so on. People, if you're a manager, treat your team like part of your network. By the way, be very mindful the person who reports to you today could potentially offer you a job in 10 years' time. So treat them well and treat them accordingly and treat them as a network. Be helpful to your network. And that's how you, over time, I mean, you get to a certain age where it could be thousands of people you can actually reach out to and they will respond back to you. That's the test. If I reach out to somebody on my network and they actually come back to me and I ask them for an introduction, they're willing to do it or they explain why they can't. Then you know they real real part of your network.
0: Wow, wow, that's powerful right there. And speaking of networks, I'm curious, uh, where can our viewers where where can they where can
1: they find you? Oh, obviously on LinkedIn. Uh, so you see the name uh, uh, written here. So reach out to me on LinkedIn, no problem. Uh, I have a website, alphabgs.com, um, which you're welcome to check out as well uh, if you want. But uh, other than that, oh look, uh, you've done that very nicely. Thank you. Yeah, um, find me on LinkedIn um, and feel free to reach out. I'm a, a habit that to open network so you can send me an email without getting your email c- uh, count down.
0: Wow, that, that's powerful. Now you had mentioned earlier about the consolidation of technology. I mean, when when I look at some of these tech stacks, uh, my head, I think I'm getting a migraine, <laughs> just thinking about some of the tools and tech that folks are, are, are using. But I know that there's something that's hot right now. It's it, I'm, I'm hearing all about it. It's this generative AI. I am robot chat GPT. I'm curious, Frank, what are your thoughts around it all?
1: So... It will it will replace certain roles, but it won't replace theirs. Like that, that is my opinion because people buy from people. Is something we said in the past, and I think that hasn't disappeared. There are certain decisions that already uh, positions, I should say, that were already replaced by good marketing. Let's be fair. Um, people now go online. Is it Amazon or any other website? They were used to click, check out, take it. Uh, and that's fine. That, that that happened as well. Those would have been things that door-to-door salespeople would have sold in the past. So those jobs have come where somebody walked around with a suitcase and tried to knock on your door and sell you something. Um, that's not working anymore. So some of our sales roles that we see today, and specifically when I think about the PDR type roles, a lot of it can be replaced and will be replaced um, through chat, GPT, and other type tools. And, the uh, good providers out there, and again, I try to avoid uh, using names, but there are good providers out there that already implemented a lot of AI. That will work really well, and businesses should look into it. Just be careful before you just get rid of your sales team and implement a tool. You want to test drive it carefully because I don't think we are quite there yet. Uh, I don't think the AI is making very good calls yet not saying it won't and it w- i'm not saying it won't be happening fast but we're not there yet um the same way as um i think just millions of uh chat gpt generated emails will not work either because we saw what google just did switching off mass emailing uh and all those things will kind of be abused for a while and then they disappear because uh the big providers will switch it off in the background so be mindful of how you overextend yourself into just thinking, AI hey, will take it all over. I think the bigger decisions, the longer sales cycles, there will always be a person involved. But for us, the salespeople, the important thing is, be aware what's happening, because us says people stay on top of it, start using it, stay away from it and say, I won't touch it. It's not going to help you. It's the same person that held onto the fax machine and said, the internet will never uh, work out. They may still hold that fax machine, but they definitely don't have a job. So. With AI, it's the same thing. Get educated around it. Spend time on it. Start using it, and get really good. And look at the opportunities with it because there will be opportunities. But it's the same problem. You remember, like they all talk about it. The horse, uh, the horse drawn carts in New York. They all demonstrated when when the, the the car came in. There are only I think five horse horse-drawn uh, cards left in in uh, Central Park, and uh, the horses disappeared. But the jobs haven't disappeared because taxi drivers suddenly became a job as well. So we will find opportunities for salespeople to find jobs within AI. But you have to be staying on top of it because otherwise the evolution is going to go past you. And this is a big evolution now.
0: Wow. Wow. I appreciate you sharing that insight. And Frank, I I love your perspective, man. I got to give this to you. Uh, you certainly bring a unique perspective and you shared how your, your your life, what you do is on the consulting, the advisory, focused on sales strategies, sales process. Now, uh, I, I know you're across the pond where this sport they call football, we, we call it a little bit different here, soccer, but there's so much strategy around football. And, and in any sport, there, there's a thing called practice. I'm curious, what are your thoughts and with the organizations that you work with? How do you position training, development, growth, practice in terms of elevating skills? Where does that all fit in?
1: And that's the first thing that gets cut out. But that's how you lose not only talent by walking away, but this constant development that is required you're losing out and staying ahead of them. So um, my recommendation to any sales leaders uh, out there, invest in training, invest in coaching. There are ways to do this without spending a lot of money. Obviously, a good trainer will cost money, but I would have always kind of tried to make it a, a habit of it. Once a year, you bring somebody external in to really, and not just this, like the one, the one mistake I think, I have seen it happening in the past, and I still know a lot of companies do. We do this two-day big training. We get somebody with a fancy name and uh, spend a lot of money on it, and then we don't have any training budget left. And what do you do then? You expect people in two days just absorb something that's written in a book like Challenger or um, like the Sandler methodology, two days training, and now they're all Sandler? No, that's not how it works. If you wanted to kind of really double down on one methodology, which is not something I'm a big fan of, but if that's what you do, then really double down on it. Make sure your managers are fully aware. They can coach and train to it. So it's an ongoing thing. Otherwise, what I would do is you, you pick out things that you really need for your team, get a trainer in for that specifically, and you make it a program, and that is a theme for the year. And if that worked really well, then the next year you make it another theme. But if you can't afford external trainers, which I think is the case for a lot of people because the way budgets have gone, how do you coach people? How do you actually make sure that there is a development? You can actually do that. If you have a team of a certain size, they can help each other. Again, they all have unique viewpoints. They have learnings from what they do day to day. We have done sessions in the past where we came all together on a Friday afternoon and we shared what worked for me this week what didn't. And when a team shares that, rather than a manager telling them what to do, they will listen differently. And you pick up small nuggets. And the one example I always gave, specifically when you work in a scalable, like in a cold calling environment, now use your terminology, why not? Um, You have a cold calling team of, say, 20 people. You have a target for them to do 50 or 100 connected calls a day. Now, they all have different ways of doing it, and you have a couple of people who always make their number, a couple of people who sometimes make their number. Yeah. And they all say they don't have enough time because whatever, data entry or whatever, there's always an excuse why something isn't working. Talk to a people that actually make the number. Why is it working for them? It's maybe a 15-minute saving in a day. But think about if you make 100 calls a day, 15 minutes, it's that extra call. And if you have 20 people, it's 20 extra calls a day. For your team, that means now 20 extra calls done in a week a hundred extra calls done. If your entire organization is a hundred people, think about how that multiplies, that's what skills. And it's about everybody bringing, or maybe out of 20, only five people bringing a 15 minute idea to the table, you now have over an hour in it. And that all multiplies. So create that environment of learning from each other, constant learning, of constant innovation. And you get that right in an organization. First of all, people feel now they have a part in the growth because they've been listened to. And your frontline people who do the job every day, they might have better ideas than you how to make it better because they do the job every day. They're not just looking at data, they actually on the core phase of it. So that's what one recommendation. If you don't have budgets, that's the minimum you can do. Figure out ways how to get the team to learn from each other, figure out who's doing what well, and it could be a fraction of their job that they're doing well, but scale that into the rest of the team and somebody else does something else well you give that back. So we're all learning, we're all improving, but the entire number is actually going up.
0: Ooh, that's powerful. And Frank, what I'm hearing is sharing is caring. When you give your people, you create the space and the environment for them to share. Now everyone is able to rise. I appreciate you sharing that. Now, I'm curious because I'm hearing from a lot of sales leaders out there, a lot of business leaders it's tough for me to motivate my people. Can you help me out? I'm a leader. My reps are out there. They're making 50 calls a day. How, how do I keep them motivated? They're they're getting bopped over the head. They're 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 striking out and in this game that we call baseball. I think across the pond they call it rounders, maybe they they always chuckle. I know baseball isn't big, but how do I keep my people inspired and motivated?
1: Yeah, so. Uh... First is always ask the question, why are you not motivated? What's the difference now to what it was last year when you seem more motivated? Oh, I'm not making enough money or people are not picking up my calls. Okay, let's have that conversation. So people are not picking up your calls. Why is that? Are we calling the wrong people? Are, are you actually getting feedback from your clients um, that we should implement for in the firm? Uh, because if you're not connecting and everybody else has that experience, Clearly, nobody's happy. So let's figure out how we change that game. Because just telling me things are not great, that doesn't really help. I said to you earlier, it's about pointing out a problem and making a suggestion how to make it better. Make that a culture change in the team as well and saying, hey, we all can raise our hand and say, this isn't great. This isn't working. But then please also give an idea, even if it's not a great idea, even if we won't implement it. But I want to hear it. What should we do differently? If you say to me, I shouldn't make 50 calls a day. I should only make 25. I have no problem with you saying that. But how do we make that number? How do we get to our revenue number by the end of the month? Because ultimately, it's not really about the number of calls you make. Ultimately, it's not the number of connections you make. It's about the revenue number we generate through them. Well, we made a calculation that 50 calls get us two connections, two connections get us one opportunity and the 100 opportunities we generate in a week get us 20 closed deals by the end of the month. That's how we calculate this, and that's why I said you need to make 50 calls. If you can tell me you can get me those 20 closed opportunities by the end of the month without us making 50 calls, hey, I'm more than happy to listen. Obviously, let's figure this out together. And don't say it in a facetious manner by, hey, you don't have a better idea. Better get back on the phone, leave me alone, because that will not motivate people generally have that interest in figuring out, are there better ways of doing this? Have we got the wrong KPIs? Because KPIs, keep in mind, are actually just leading to an end result. The focus should always be what's our end result? And if it's truly just we getting paid to make a hundred calls a day, that's because we work in an outsourced environment and we only get paid per call. Sure, look, make your calls. But in a sales organization, more often than not you have a revenue target. And your KPI was somehow drawn to get you to that revenue target. That's right. If we can't get to that revenue target with your 50 calls a day anymore, maybe there's something we need to change, but the revenue target won't change. So let's figure out a way, how do we get to that revenue target? Maybe we change KPIs, but we still need to get to a number.
0: Wow. You made some valid points. Asking questions, showing that you care, being open to exploring other ways to get to that goal. Now, you made a, a great point. You referenced the formulas. We got a lot of spreadsheet warriors out there. I'm, I'm looking at some of the leaders that are listening in, the calculations of you've got to make 77 calls every day. Uh, being that we're seeing, and all the statistics show that, especially in B2B stat sales, the percent of goal attainment is on the decline and it's declining drastically i'm curious uh given that trend what are your thoughts around how do we fix that because it i'm just gonna be honest with you that doesn't sound good like i don't want to be in a position where i'm set up to strike out i'm i'm set up to fail that that's not appetizing to anybody what what are your thoughts there
1: Yeah, and to all our uh, spreadsheet warriors, as you call them, um, the key thing is just making more calls uh, and hoping that you get the same percentage out because we have seen a decline of the connection rates. We have seen a a decline of um, conversion rates from connected calls. So just hunting more people down doesn't really help you. So what do we need to change? Get away from pure KPIs. I'm not saying get rid of KPIs. We need KPIs and I'm looking at spreadsheets as well. I always want to do data-based decision-making. But if your KPIs are not working for you anymore, fundamentally, are we doing the right outreach? Have we empowered our people to have the right conversation? Is there somebody who's actually having more success, and what is that individual in my team doing differently? Have they a different way of opening the conversation? Are they connecting differently to people? Maybe they reach out first. On LinkedIn or email, and then follow it up with a call. Maybe that's the solution. I'm not saying that may be for everybody the case, but it could be. But it also is sometimes just have they got the pitch down really well, where they actually not starting. Hey, Larry, I'm Frank, calling from Alpha BGS Commercial. Have you got three minutes? I want to tell you how great we are doing advisory work. Why would you be interested? You never asked me to call your name, but if I ask you. Hey, Larry, how's your day? I listened to your Call calling podcast the other day. I see you really asking people how to motivate their sales team. Did you know that in our team in AlphaBGS, we have helped companies with specifically motivating their sales team? Very different conversation. And you're now more likely to probably give me another minute to accept that expectation because I talk to you, I'm not talking about myself. And, and sometimes it's small things that really make the difference. It could be really. How we just pick up the phone and greet a person and how we actually spend maybe the two minutes before we get on the call to look at somebody's profile and say hey i see that person actually lives now in chicago but they're from texas originally hey maybe i have a different conversation or the other way around whatever it may be or i can actually see they have played baseball in the past let me and, and that's a, a a concrete example. I think I shared that with you before. I called once a guy uh, in the UK. He was uh, Australian, but played professional rugby in his past. And he was now a sales director. So I get on the phone, and I basically have the conversation uh, starter with, hey, I've seen you play for so-and-so, big rugby fan and everything. He hears the German accent, and he asks where I'm from. I'm from Germany. Now he thinks I'm an ex-rugby player. And he gets all excited. He thinks, you're the first German rugby player I ever got to talk to. And for 10 minutes, I had to kept, keep on correcting him. I'm a fan of rugby. I never played it. But he got so excited about We had a great conversation. But he wouldn't let me go off the phone. You know what I mean? It's, it's about how do you connect. If I would have started a conversation about anything else, not sure if the conversation would have gotten anywhere. But I got a good conversation going because rugby was something that he was passionate about. I could actually lean in on it because I'm passionate about it but never played. So those are the type of things that will make you successful as well. Those two minutes of kind of preparation before you get on the call can make the big difference. Not just, here's the number, here's the name, just call him and see what happens.
0: Wow, that's powerful right there. And I love how you demonstrated the impact of doing your research, being prepared, and making that human connection, that 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 uh, P2P, that person-to-person connection, whether you're a rugby player or not. Now, uh, we're about to wrap, and I, I can't thank you enough, Frank, but I can't let you go without one final question. We're kicking off the new year. It's the start of 2024. There's so much potential at our fingertips. The, the opportunity is knocking at our door. I want to know for our listeners, for our viewers, those that are live, those that are checking out the recording afterwards, what's your one best piece of advice for sales professionals, business developers, leaders? What's the one piece of advice that you want to give them today, January the 10th, for them to reach their best?
1: Mike, my best piece of advice is what I would have done uh, with my teams always in the past. Sit down, make a plan. I don't care if you uh, in a business development starting role where you've been told 50 calls a day and you'll be fine, you get paid by the end of the month. What's your plan for this year? Where do you want to be by December 31st? More than likely, you want to get promoted if you end this entry t- level type role. How are you going to get there? How do you make more? How do you show up in the business And how do you make sure you always make your numbers and then some? Because if you just make your number, don't expect a promotion. People who get promoted are the ones who constantly over deliver. If you're a sales leader, make sure that you have a plan, obviously, for your team that isn't just for the next quarter and the quarter afterwards. Really kind of forecast what the year should be looking like and then make your team do the same. And don't tell them what the plan is. Have them have their own plan. Give them the number you need to get to. Give them a stretch number you want to get to and then let them all plan on how to get there. Uh, and anybody beyond that, if you do ha- run a business, give a clear vision to your team, not just a number. Why are we doing what we're doing? People want to sign up to more than just a number. People want to be participating in a business. Getting up every morning, getting on calls, and hearing more no's than yeses isn't an easy game. Sales isn't easy. That's why it should be paid well. And hopefully for most listeners, it is paid well. But the key thing is that level of motivation comes from if you actually be part of something bigger than just making your calls, making your number. I understand I'm contributing to this business. I'm actually allowed to contribute more by inputting, by saying, hey, I think we could do something different. And by actually understanding we have a vision. This business is supposed to look like in three years like this. And if I do my job really well, I'm part of making that possible. That, I think, is important for business leaders out there. So beyond just your management team, set out a vision that goes beyond the year. Allow your team to plan, participate in it, but have a clear plan for yourself as well. My best advice, sit down now, have a plan for the year, every single one, and then work on uh, fulfilling this plan. Be ambitious in that plan.
0: Frank. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You inspired me to make sure I have my playbook and I have my game plan. I'm actually, I'm heading to Wilmington for a retreat, a a goal setting retreat coming up this weekend to make sure that my plan is buttoned up. It's tight. So for those in the back that might not have heard plan, 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 have that clear vision for the leaders, communicate that with your team, Frank, I can't thank you enough. I appreciate you joining us today on the Cold Calling Podcast, and I wish you all the best and continued success.
1: Larry, thanks very much for having me. Truly been a pleasure, and uh,
0: hopefully we stay in touch. Oh, we most definitely will, Frank, and whatever I can do or our viewers and listeners can do to support, please let us know. For all those that tuned in, thank you so much. This is a reminder. Make sure you join us every Wednesday. We'll be back again next Wednesday, January the 17th. Same bad place, same bad time, one o'clock Eastern, 10 o'clock if you're on the Pacific time zone. And we're going to keep that great momentum that we built from from season number two into episode number one, season number three. We're going to keep that rolling into the new year all year long. So from, from my heart to yours, Thank you for tuning in. We will see you next Wednesday. Bye for now. Peace.